couple of announcements. Tonight is our last Wednesday night service of the year. Next week, we will not be meeting. So uh, our next Wednesday night will be uh, Wednesday, January 4th, 2017, the new year. So uh, make note of that. Also, our Christmas schedule. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service here, 6.30. So uh, get here early. Get a seat. It's, it's a big service, one of the big services of the year. Um, so that will be taking place this Saturday night, Christmas Eve, 6.30. And then on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, we're going to have a big family service right here in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. Everyone... Uh, is welcome, every member of the family, and so we'll all be in here on Christmas Day at 10 a.m. And then, New Year's Day. A service, uh, our, our schedule will be the same as always, a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. service, and it's also going to be a communion service, so make plans to attend. Now, if you're going to be up super late that night, you probably want to come to the 11 a.m. If you're like many of us, and you go to bed early, um, you might be able to get up and make it to the 9 a.m. service on New Year's Day. But uh, make plans to come and start the New Year's off um, with a communion service. So make note of all that. Tonight, we're going to look at the last chapter in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. Very busy time of the year, very complicated time of the year. I want things to be very simple. And so we have a very simple word from the Lord tonight. Joshua chapter 24. Lord, we have such a tendency to make things complicated and you've made things simple. I pray that we would follow you into simplicity. Lord, that we would just focus on those things you want us to be focused on. We wouldn't let our life get cluttered with all the other stuff. Recognizing, Lord, that when we make the right choices in life, everything else follows. Bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There was a man named Fred who inherited $10 million. He was confronted with choices. The will provided that he had to accept it either in Chile or Brazil. He chose Brazil. Unhappily, it turned out that in Chile, he would have received his inheritance in land on which uranium, gold, and silver had just been discovered. Once in Brazil, he had to choose between receiving his inheritance in coffee or nuts. He chose nuts. Too bad. The bottom fell out of the nut market, and the coffee went up to $1.30 a pound wholesale, unroasted. Poor Fred lost everything to his name. He went out and he sold his solid gold watch for the money he needed to fly home. It seemed he had enough ticket 
to go either to New York or Boston. He chose Boston. When the plane for New York taxied up, he noticed that it was a brand new super 747 jet with red carpets and chic people and helpful hostesses. The plane for Boston then arrived. It was a 1928 Ford trimotor with sway back and it took a full day to get off the ground. It was filled with crying children and tethered goats. Over the Andes, one of the engines fell off. Our man Fred made his way up to the captain and said, I'm a jinx on this plane, man. Let me out if you want to save your lives. Give me a parachute. The pilot agreed and said, on this plane, anybody who bails out must wear two parachutes. So Fred jumped out of the plane. As he fell dizzily through the air, he tried to make up his mind which ripcord to pull. He chose the one on the left. The chute opened, but the shroud line snapped, destroying the other chute. In desperation, the poor fellow cried out, St. Francis, save me. A great hand from heaven reached down, seized the poor fellow by the wrist, and let him dangle in midair. Then a gentle but inquisitive voice asked, St. Francis Xavier? or St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> I'll bet he made the wrong choice, didn't he? Poor Fred. Life is a series of choices. And hopefully, we're going to make better choices than a guy like Fred. And tonight, really, I just want to talk about one simple, very simple choice that we need to make. And if you make this right, simple choice, all the other choices in life will follow. The most important choice that we can make. Look at verse 1 of chapter 24. It says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. So here the nation of Israel is summoned to a sacred, solemn gathering as a nation. The nation of Israel at this point has gone into the promised land. They have conquered the promised land. The land has been divided up among all the 12 tribes as we studied last week. All that's left is for each tribe to go into its territory, occupy it, take it, clean out the remaining enemies. And so before they do that, Joshua calls them all together at this very special place. And at this time, Joshua is 110 years old and he is about to die. And so this is his farewell address. These are his closing words. They've gathered at a very special place in Israel's history, this place called Shechem. Shechem is located right in the central part of the land. It's right at the base of a mountain called Mount Ebal. 
hundreds of years before this, when Abraham went into the promised land, it was at Shechem that God promised Abraham that he would give that land to his seed. Abraham had erected an altar to the Lord right there in Shechem. The nation of Israel has also already been gathered to this very special place. Right after the first phase of their conquest, Joshua had called a solemn ceremony. They all gathered again right there at Shechem. And it was there, if you remember, that Joshua inscribed the law of Moses on whitewashed stones, put them at the top of the mountain so you could see them. It would be a landmark. It was on that mountain that he also erected an altar to the Lord. And remember, it was right there in that place that half of the tribes went on Mount Ebal and the other half went on Mount Gerizim to recite the curses and the blessings. And it was there that they made a commitment to the Lord with much of the promised land still needing to be conquered. Okay, now they're in the promised land. They've conquered it. And now they're all back to that same spot. They can see the altar. They can see the stones at the top of the mountain. They remember how they had made a commitment prior. And Joshua has assembled them again. And the purpose, clearly, is for the nation to once again renew their commitment. To the Lord. Joshua, in this last address, begins first of all by reminding the people that are gathered there of how blessed they are of God. Look at verse 2. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. So the Lord says to all of his people that are gathered, remember how gracious I've been to you. Remember the grace that I have poured out upon you. Your father, Abraham, his father, Terah, way back then in the past, they were idol worshipers. They were pagans. Just like the Canaanites in the promised land that you've just kicked out. Abraham didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't earn it. I just, by grace, called Abraham to myself. I revealed myself to him. I brought him out of the place of idolatry into the promised land. I multiplied him. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. Jacob would have his name changed to Israel. His 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Eventually, as you know the story, they would go into Egypt for several hundred years where they would multiply as this 
great nation. And God is saying to the people, that's all by my grace. You didn't deserve it. I gave you that. He goes on to say in verse 5, Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt, according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Again, the Lord says to that people gathered, remember that I have redeemed you as a nation. You are a nation of redemption. You were in Egypt. You were in big trouble. You were in bondage. You were slaves. You cried out to me. I heard you. I sent Moses and Aaron. I delivered you out of Egypt. You crossed through the Red Sea miraculously. I was with you in the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Again, God is saying, remember, I've been good to you. I've poured my grace out upon you. I've redeemed you. Verse 8. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I've given you victory. I redeemed you out of Egypt. I've brought you into the promised land. You are victorious over all these enemies. God is saying, don't forget that. Verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. And cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. God has been so good to Israel. He reminds them of all those blessings. Look how far I've brought you. Look at my grace poured out upon you. Look at the blessings that you enjoy. And God would say to them, and I did that for you. I gave that to you. I've been good to you. And so, having said that, Joshua exhorts the people. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. 
Make this decision. Make this choice in life. Israel. Fear the Lord nationally. Fear the Lord as a nation. Fear the Lord as the tribes. Fear the Lord as families. Fear the Lord as individual citizens. You choose that. Serve the Lord as a nation. Serve the Lord as tribes. Serve the Lord as families. Serve the Lord as individuals. Choose to do that. Put away all the false gods from your nation. Put away all the false gods from your tribe. Put away all the false gods from your families. And put all the false gods away from your individual life. Choose to do that. Make that choice. And then after that great exhortation, Joshua shows by example that he intends to do just that. Verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. That famous quote from Joshua. Here's what God has done. You need to make this choice. I'm making the choice. Follow my example. This passage perfectly parallels the Christian experience. Christian God has been so very, very good to us, hasn't he? God has done so many wonderful things in our life. God has been gracious to us. We didn't deserve salvation. We're sinners. But God in his grace sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world and rise again that third day, making it possible for us to be saved by faith, not by works. God did that by grace. And for those of us here tonight who have received Christ, we are saved by faith, through faith, by the grace of God. God has been gracious. Your sins are forgiven. God has redeemed us. God has set us free. We are no longer in bondage to the devil. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer in bondage to death. We're free. If we're Christians, then God has given us all of the resources, all of the tools, everything necessary to walk in victory. To live this incredible, fruitful life. God has poured out upon us blessings that none of us earned or worked for. He's provided for us. He's protected us. He's blessed us with so many things. God is good, isn't he? 
Think what God has done in your life, Christian. And so what should our response be? To be absolutely committed to him. To follow him. To choose him. Above everything else. There are three components in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord. That's component number one. Because of everything that God has done for us, Christian, we should choose to fear the Lord. Now what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to respect him. It means to have a reverence for him. To hold him in highest honor. As Christians, to fear the Lord means to place the Lord in the highest position of reverence, honor, and respect in your life. To have God in that place where you look up to him. Where he's your hero. He's the supreme object of your worship. He's exalted in your life. And to have him in this place in your life, and he's constantly there before you, and you have such a respect and such a reverence for the Lord that you would never, ever, ever want to do anything that might displease him. That's fearing the Lord. That's how we should live our lives. Just that simple choice. Fearing the Lord. The book of Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord a lot. There's so many benefits if you live your life fearing the Lord. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. Want to be smart? Want to be wise? Start by fearing the Lord. book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord causes you to depart from evil. If you fear the Lord, if you reverence the Lord, then as I said, you're not going to want to do anything that would displease him. So you'll depart from evil. You'll depart from a sinful lifestyle that can so damage you. Book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord prolongs days. You'll live longer. You'll live a higher quality life. Proverbs says there is strong confidence in the fear of the Lord. If you have a fear for the Lord, then you're confident. You're secure in life. You're not facing life by yourself. You're facing life with your eyes firmly fixed on how great and awesome God is. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Very simple. Choose to fear the Lord. Then the second component. Now therefore fear the Lord and what? Serve him 
in sincerity and truth. Look at the last part of verse 14. Serve the Lord, exclamation point. As Christians, we choose to serve the Lord. Now, this moves us out of the realm of theory into the world of practicality. What does it mean to serve the Lord? It means to do stuff. It means to work. It means to labor for him. It means to engage in activity for the Lord. This is the mindset that says, Lord, you're the master, I'm the servant. You're the king, I'm the subject. When God tells us to do something, we do it. When God tells us not to do something, we don't do it. It's as simple as that. Serve the Lord. Whatever the Bible tells us to do, whatever the Lord tells us to do, as Christians, the Lord tells us that we are to go out and we are to love people. We are to show compassion to people. We are to be godly spouses. We are to be godly parents. We are to be involved in ministry. The scripture says that we should be going to church regularly, worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying together, pursuing fellowship. All of that. Serve the Lord. Choose to be a part of that. And even beyond like ministry or serving other people and loving other people, it's the idea of whatever you do in life, you're doing that for the Lord. So if you're a dentist, you're a dentist for the Lord. If you're an accountant, you're an accountant for the Lord. Choose to serve the Lord. Notice what it says there in verse 14. It says, fear the Lord, serve him in what? In sincerity and in truth. We are to choose to serve the Lord genuinely with sincerity. The idea is when you serve the Lord, when you're busy for the Lord, when you're doing activities for the Lord, you're doing it with a heart that matches the behavior. You're doing it with sincerity. You're not a hypocrite. You're never going to be the one who allows church activity just to become, oh, that's what we do. You're not going to allow the Christian life to become ritual, legalistic. And you know, that's where the nation of Israel got in a lot of trouble. Later on in their history, Everything about the temple just became ho-hum. Oh, let's do the temple. Let's bring the sacrifices. Let's keep the feast. Let's circumcise our babies. And it was all an outward religious show. There was no inward reality. In fact, later, 
God would send his prophets to the nation of Israel and say, stop the feasts, stop the sacrifices. I don't care about the circumcision. You know what you need to do? You need to circumcise your hearts. There needs to be an inward reality to your outward, you know, religiosity. Your ritual. We're to choose to serve the Lord with the proper heart. Don't ever let Christianity become that. To serve the Lord in sincerity also means to serve the Lord without any ulterior motives. You just serve the Lord because you love the Lord. Don't serve the Lord to impress all your friends at church. Don't serve the Lord so that people will see you serving the Lord and go, ooh, look how spiritual. You never serve the Lord to get accolades. You just serve the Lord. The Pharisees, that was their biggest sin, you remember? They would serve the Lord in, in these super spiritual ways, but it, it, was to be, it was to impress people. Remember, in the gospel it says that they, when they gave money to the Lord, they would go into the temple and, and they would make a big deal about it. They'd draw attention to themselves as they're dropping their money in the plate. They'd make a big gong, make sure everybody sees them putting the money in. So that everybody could go, wow, look. And Jesus said, don't do that. You know, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't don't be a show. The Pharisees would also make these long, elaborate, public prayers. They'd stand in front of the group and they'd raise their hands and they'd go on and on and on in these prayers. Just so everyone could see them. Wow, look at that guy pray. Woo! Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees. When you pray, go into your closet and shut the door behind you. Nobody sees. When the Pharisees would fast, they'd make themselves look worse than they already looked. They wouldn't comb their hair. They wouldn't anoint their heads with oil. They'd put ashes on themselves. And so they're walking around like this. What's wrong, Mr. Fair? Well, I'm fasting. Wow. He's so holy. Jesus said, when you fast, comb your hair. Don't make it look like you're fasting. Serve the Lord in sincerity. That's the idea. And we're to choose that. Not trying to get anything out of it. Serve the Lord in sincerity. Serve the Lord in truth. And that's the idea. The Hebrew word there, the idea is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Be faithful in your service to the Lord. The idea is be consistent. Choose to serve the Lord with the right heart day by day by day by day. Don't be on again, off again. A consistent 
servant heart. Choose to serve the Lord. The third component as Christians, as we consider all that God has done for us. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and do what? Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river. Joshua said to the nation of Israel, all those gods that your father served in the Ur of the Chaldeans, the gods that they served in Egypt, the gods that they served in Canaan before you got here, you get rid of them. Have nothing to do with false gods. Don't allow any idols in your life. Throw all the statues out. Get rid of anything that would take the place of God on the throne of your life. That's the number one commandment, isn't it? In the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Look what I've done. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. No idols, no statues. Put away the gods. Now in America, we don't have statues. A lot of us don't. We don't bow before images, hopefully. We don't have these pagan idols and things that you see in other third world countries. But we do have idols. An idol, you know, is anything that would take the place of God at the highest point in your life. So an idol can be a car. An idol can be a job. An idol can be a relationship. An idol can be some kind of a pleasure in the world. Put those away. Those are not to be top priority in your life. The real tempting God I found for most Americans and even Christians would be money. Here in America, we love money. I heard about a missionary in Africa who had been witnessing faithfully to a certain individual there. Following their conversation one day, the unconverted man placed a small statue and a silver coin on the table before them. Then he took two slips of paper, wrote something on each, putting one beside the image and the other with the money. He turned to the Christian worker and said, please read this. On the note by the idol were written the words, heathen God. The sheet next to the coin bore the inscription, Christian God. From what that needy soul had observed in the lives of the merchants from so-called Christian nations, he concluded that money was the object of their devotion. And it's so easy to let that happen. Don't worship money. Don't worship materialism. 
Jesus went out of his way to say, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or, he, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is the God of money. Put away the gods. Don't be obsessed with money. That's the choice. That's the choice that we need to make, my brother and sister in Christ. Choose to fear the Lord. Choose to serve the Lord. Choose to put away the gods, the false gods. Do that. Understand some things about this choice. First of all, we see that this choice is to be deliberate. It's deliberate. I mean, here in our passage, they've all gathered. That a solemn gathering. And Joshua is standing before him, and he's essentially saying, today we're going to draw a line in the sand. Today we're making a deliberate choice. Christian, this is a deliberate choice that we need to make. This isn't a choice that you just sort of slip into. It's a choice that you think about and you make. You may be here tonight and you may have been a Christian. You may be a Christian for a long time. You're enjoying salvation. You're enjoying the blessings that come along with being a Christian. But has there ever come a time in your life where you deliberately made this choice? I choose the Lord. I'm going to fear him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to put away the other gods. Maybe you need to do that tonight. We're gathered tonight. It's a sacred gathering. Maybe tonight would be that time in your life where you draw that line in the sand. You say, you know what? I'm going into a new year. I'm going to choose the Lord this year. I'm not going to get all caught up with everything else. Understand something else about this choice. It is a personal choice. It is a choice to be made personally. You have to make this choice. And you have to be willing to go it alone. Should other people not make the same choice. Right? I mean, it's beautiful what Joshua says in verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to choose. But I'll tell you what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says to the whole nation, I am choosing the Lord. If everyone else goes the opposite direction, it doesn't bother me. I'm choosing the Lord. You know that you need to choose the Lord. Now, there may be a lot of people in your life who would say, don't do that. Or they won't make that choice. Or they'll go totally the opposite direction. Will you go it alone? Are you willing? Say, as for me and my household, we're going to choose the Lord. 
Although it is a personal choice that we all make personally, please understand this. Your choice will have an impact on others. Your choice will have an impact on others. Joshua says, as for me and my what? My house will serve the Lord. Dad, listen. Dad, listen. You have such an impact on your family. Your children. Your grandchildren. Extended relatives. If you choose the Lord, and you choose, by example, to fear the Lord and serve Him in practical ways and put away all the gods, you're going to impact your kids. You're going to impact your family. If you choose the other way, well, you'll impact them in a negative way. Mom, listen. So important. Christian, I promise you, if if you make that choice to serve the Lord, to fear the Lord, and to do that in a practical way, day by day by day, you will have an impact on friends, on other people, on co-workers. I do believe that this is a choice that we should make daily. Daily. Yeah, there's that time in your life where you draw the line in the sand. But then follow through by choosing the Lord every day. I do think it's significant that in verse 15, Joshua says to the crowd, Choose for yourselves this this day, not this year, this month, this week, this day. On this day, choose the Lord. Christian, I think we should get up every morning and choose the Lord. Every morning, resurrender our lives to Him. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Day by day by day. Paul wrote in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I always love that part of the verse. It's, that's, that's the reasonable thing to do. Give your body to God every day. Give your life to God every day. Choose the Lord every day. Choose it daily. And and, and listen, just think about how simple that will be. How how that will greatly simplify your life. If everything in your life is run through the filter of you're choosing the Lord, it makes every decision easy, right? What does the Lord want? All right, I'll do that. Choose the Lord. Very, very important principle that comes out of this passage. We are to choose the Lord when things are tough. And we're also to choose the Lord when things are good. When things are good. And let me tell you. It's a lot more difficult to choose the Lord when things are good in your life. 
Please understand that principle. Right now, the nation of Israel at the end of the book of Joshua, while they're standing at this sacred, solemn gathering, right now they are in a very dangerous place spiritually. Because the challenge is over. They're in the promised land. When they stood before that mountain a few years earlier, the challenge was ahead of them. Now the challenge is behind them. God has just said, look, I gave you cities you didn't even build. Go enjoy. Listen, that is the most dangerous time. It's one thing to choose the Lord when the challenge is before you. When you are going through some really, really difficult times. You know, that's the easiest time to choose the Lord. Why? You need them. Desperately. It's not so easy when things are just going fine in your life. There's no challenge. Everything's perfect. Why? Everything's good. It's all in control. And in times like that, we tend to forget the Lord. Years earlier, before they got into the promised land, God gave this warning to the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm just going to read it to you. Listen to it very carefully. Listen to what the Lord told them. So it shall be. When the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware is a very, very strong word in the Hebrews. Danger. Be on high alert. When? When things are bad? No. When things are good. Then. Beware. Be on guard. Because in those good times in life, we kick back. We don't seek the Lord like we do in the times of bad. You know, you may be here tonight and you're going through the most difficult time in your life. Maybe you're going through agonizing trials right now. Listen, you're actually in a very safe place. Because in a time like that, you're holding on to Christ. You're depending upon him. You may be here tonight and everything's going great. I need to warn you, you're in a dangerous place. You may forget about the Lord. Listen, don't. In the good times and the bad times, choose the Lord. Choose the Lord. In the time of prosperity in your life, you get up every morning and you choose the Lord and you uh, confess your absolute dependence upon Christ. And you hold on to him. Don't let all the circumstances of life 
impact your choice. Choose the Lord every day. Remember the motivation. Why do we choose the Lord? Because he first chose us. Don't ever forget that. What, what should motivate us to choose him every day? Just remember what he's done for you. Remember all that he's done. Remember the blessing. Wake up every morning, no matter what you're facing in life, and remember that you are forgiven, you are saved, you are a child of God, you're headed for heaven. And because of what God has done in your life, choose him. Also understand that there are consequences for choice. And be mindful of that. The scripture says that if you will choose the Lord on a day-by-day basis, he is going to bless you. He's going to protect you. I promise you, if you're choosing the Lord daily, no matter what life looks like, man, you are going to spend your life wisely. There's going to be so much fruit in and through your life. If you don't choose him, things will get tough. So just choose him. Choose him daily. By the way, I firmly believe that everyone has a God. Everyone chooses someone or something to serve. I agree with Bob Dylan. Remember Bob Dylan? His song, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble, you might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everyone is serving somebody on a day-by-day basis. Keep it simple. Make your choice. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, if we could just keep it that simple every single day. I want to pray tonight for myself or my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Lord, if we could just every morning wake up and seek you first. That we would remember every morning when we wake up that you're in charge. That we would choose to follow you every day. Lord, that we would fear you. That our focus would be on serving you. Lord, help us to throw out all those things that distract us. I pray we would not be consumed with the things of this world. 
I pray that we'd be consumed with you and use the things of this world to advance your kingdom. That everything in our lives would be submissive to you. Lord, there may be some here tonight who know you but have never fully surrendered. Lord, Lord, bring them to that place of surrender tonight. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but it's never stuck. Maybe you feel a little afraid of a full surrender to Christ. Listen, you can trust Jesus with you. He's he's not going to hurt you. He's going to bless you. Serve him. Trust him. could be that there are some here tonight who have never trusted Jesus as Savior. You've never tasted of that grace. You've never had all of your sins forgiven. Jesus died for you and rose again the third day. His blood was shed. All of your sins can be erased. You can become a child of God, and it's by faith It's by faith in him. It's not by any good works. It's not by anything that you can do. You couldn't do enough to to get saved. Christ has paid the price for you. Receive him. Receive him tonight. Let him bless you. Let him save you. If that's you, I'd like to lead you in this prayer right now. Just right where you're sitting, right there in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for doing all that is required. Thank you for dying for me, rising again. I invite you now to be my Savior. Make me a child in your family. Help me to walk with you. Help me to live my life day by day, serving you. Father, I pray that for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.